Hello, Interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, we have another installment of Leisure Lists, where Ryan and I talk about all the entertainment we don't have time to make full episodes about. Movies, video games, comics, shows, anything goes. We'll try not to spoil anything for you. From this extreme try long shot... Is we... the, it's the word. <laughs> try is the word. <laughs> Hi, all. Joe from the future here. Just wanted to give you a warning up front that this episode contains major spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2. Even warned. Back to the episode. From this extreme long shot, we zoom into our medium shot. So, Ryan, how's your entertainment treated you in general since September, or whenever we last did this? It's been okay. You know, it's not, like, nothing's really, uh, made me go, holy crap, this is amazing. There's been one thing that I thought was really good, but I'll save that for my next thing. Because I kind of want to start off as a negative <laughs> off the bat. I don't know why. But uh, one thing I kind of was like a little hyped for, but not as hyped for, was The Crown Season 5. five? Yeah, Season 5. Uh, the Crown does this thing where every two seasons they recast all the actors because they're doing a different era. And this era was the 90s. Um during uh princess diana and princess charles prince charles's uh divorce and her infamous interview and then there's little stories throughout the whole thing but my god was this season boring <laughs> it was so boring i don't know what it it's and i said this to my friend it doesn't feel like the same directors or even cinematographers or even like people just like in general are making the same show the music's a little different. The color correction is so different. It it's just it just feels like a completely different show. And the main actress who plays the queen, I think she does a decent job, but I think she plays it she doesn't try to play it as the queen. You know, she kind of plays her own take on it, which isn't bad, and it's just a little different. So she's playing a but queen, not just, queen Elizabeth. You're saying? Kinda. Like, she's not really trying to put on the character of the queen, like how Claire Foy or um, Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Coleman was. Yeah. And they both did amazing, and I thought she was just okay. But I kind of felt the same with Olivia Coleman in season three. Uh, yeah, so maybe I didn't... the next season when things get better? I didn't really care for the cast is... in season three either. Like, I grew to like them mm -hmm. by season four, and I thought season four... Well, not the most historically accurate, was the best season of the show. And I haven't gotten yeah, around to season definitely. five yet. So I'm looking forward to it, but I'll be a little uh, They just cautious. choose... I think there's like three good episodes in this ten episodes <laughs> season. Because <laughs> I just think it's in that point in time where some of it is... Really the only captivating storyline is between Princess Diana and Charles... Where the other stuff is just kind of reactions to that political babble and reactions to that, or there's these one-off storylines where, not to be a major spoiler, but there's a tie into the the Czar of Russia and right. the uh, the Romanov line. Oh, okay. There's this weird there's this weird episode where, oh, man, can I just say it? It's not really yeah. A, uh, it's, if it's history. There's this weird episode where they think Prince Philip is having a relationship with his godson's wife, but he full-on says, oh, it's in the same episode. 
he like he full on says no it's just companionship like she's just a friend and i enjoy being around her so they work around but it's just it doesn't feel grand in a way i don't know the and crown's I supposed think to be about the grandness yeah and i think it sh- there should have been a lot more focus it's weird to say but there should have been a lot more focus on princess diana and the the younger generation as well especially with you know princess anne there's a great real life thing that happened to her where she was almost kidnapped in real life and the crowns mm. never touched that at all and they can't now because they've gone past that point oh wow but and i think the actress for princess diana is really good but man there's so many moments in like the earlier seasons even season four where they make excuse me where they make a uh, certain moments in time feel like an epic moment or a real like this is something really important and there's just ones where I, they rush through it so quickly where it's when it's how they depict Princess Diana wearing the revenge dress when she gets out of the car. Okay. And it's just like, I don't know. It, it, to me, it was like the editing and how it was shot. It lasted for maybe 30 seconds where she just gets out. And the actress does a phenomenal job who plays her. I think she does a brilliant job as Princess Diana. It's hard to beat the actress before in season four. She did amazing. And man, I just thought they focused on moments that were kind of boring and they rushed through the ones that could have had a really strong impact. Well, fair enough. I'll uh, I'll get to it. Probably binge it around Christmas or so when I'm back home. It's the show I always watch with my mom. So yeah, this haven't been it's home. a good Christmas show to watch. Haven't been home enough to get through that or even start it. But uh, yeah, so for <laughs> me, I'm, I'm skipping back pretty much all the way back to September here, but um, Westworld season four, I think I talked about a little mm. bit in the last pleasure list. This one is sad to me because the show was just getting good again. Season one was fantastic. Season two, a little less so. Season three was made me nearly quit altogether because it was just so frustrating they don't even go to westworld anymore in season three they're in the real world and it's got nothing to do with the westworld bit anymore at all so season four kind of basically did season three storyline over again with the ai takes over the world kind of plot but so that's why it was kind of annoying in a way that they basically just redid season three story but they did it better so season four was actually the first <coughs> excuse me upswing this show's gone on since season one and it was really getting good and the ending made me actually excited for the next season i hadn't been excited about a new season of westworld since the end of season one and the ending of season four actually got me excited for season five and then they canceled it <laughs> In that way, I heard season five was supposed to finish everything, right? Yes. Like they just need one more season. They only needed one more season. That was the frustrating part. It was just getting good again, and it was just about to finish the story. And season four ends on a cliffhanger of all things. I mean, like it it had a pretty definitive ending for the real world in many ways. The real world is uh, not doing so hot after season four, but there was still. a story to tell and they didn't get to finish it 
the only character who knows it might be one of those things like uh like Firefly where it might have a strong on um um yeah you revival know, like yeah. anger fist for revival for people to finish it yeah well the only character in this show I pretty much liked all the way through was um oh my lord I'm forgetting her name now. <laughs> well that tells you how much the I the only like character I really loved is fuck <laughs> Thandy Newton Razu Thandy Newton's character uh the Maeve it's been a few months since I've seen the show people but uh that's alright tells you how hardcore yeah we're coming I am we're coming off of Andor where we have to memorize all those fucking names yeah, but it's you Star know. Wars, so I care more. You know, Westworld is... Eh, <laughs> because Andor's not canceled yet. <laughs> Didn't even get a proper ending, so... <laughs> Whatever. Westworld, if you, if you managed... Oh, if you couldn't, shit. If you couldn't stick it out through season three, watch season four. You might like it. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's, you know, it's whatever. It got canceled, so I can't even get excited anymore. Mm-hmm. what's the next thing you got you know what's well before I say the next thing I don't know why maybe because it's just an HBO thing but I went back and because I watched I don't know if you ever watched but um, His Dark Materials the first season no. it's basically the Golden Compass thing but I watched that first season and I thought it was good I thought it was okay the CGI for the animals looks amazing and then I was like maybe I'll get back into this and I watched the trailer for season 2 and they're on the third season right now, but I was watching the trailer for season two, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, not that I didn't remember who the characters were, but just the storyline didn't really make sense to me from the trailer, so I just had no uh, interest in doing it. But if they're on a third season, I assume it's doing well. <laughs> but also, HBO has all the money. Anyway, but the next thing I watched, which I was really excited for, because it is a known literacy masterpiece, All Quiet on the Western Front. I watched that one. I want to I get made to, sure to watch it. Yeah, I want. I, I mm-hmm. want to get to it. It's one of my favorite novels of all time. World War One is my favorite war to study. I'm I'm a very mm-hmm. big history buff about World War One. This movie is right up my alley, and I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. Just haven't made the time. And I'm jealous yeah. you've seen and it, I'd... but it's my own fault. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not. I won't go into spoilers because I think there is some deviations from the book. And in terms of certain characters, well, not characters, but just how everything happens. I assume because I read a, I didn't read an interview. I saw an interview. I don't read anyway, but it's one of those books that has an interesting history because I, if I can recall, it was one of those books that was banned during when Hitler was in power and was one that was like mass massively burnt at the same time. I would not be surprised because the entire thing is. It's set from it the shows Germans, the horror of war. But it's set from the Germans' perspective in World War One, And it not yeah. only does it show the horror of war, but it's about... Basically, it's about this young German boy who thinks going to war is going to be, you know, an adventure, and then he actually gets there. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of a classic war story, and, you know, he gets disillusioned with the whole thing. But I thought one of the most fascinating parts about the book was when he goes back home which I don't know if this movie does, and how everyone treats him when he gets back home. Uh, not, I mean, like, he's only there for a short... It's not. It's kind of a spoiler for the story, but it's, mm. you know, 
when he gets sent back on leave, basically, there's a, there's a section of the book where he gets sent back on leave. The main guy? Paul? Yeah, yeah, Paul. Where he gets sent back on leave to home and him, him having to bring these experiences back home and how everyone who doesn't really know what it's like on the Western Front all have these assumptions and they all see him as a hero mm-hmm. and they kind of treat him like, hey, why aren't you more excited about this war? Things are going okay, right? And they all... The propaganda, no. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're all falling for the propaganda and everything like that. So it's very that's what I love about this movie. But that's why Hitler with... would have burnt it. That that was that was the whole point. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I yeah. think Hitler would have burned it because it's it's talking about people are falling for the propaganda. The soldiers aren't actually that excited to fight the war. Germany, yeah, isn't necessarily that heroic in it, even though they're it's from their perspective. It's it's too complicated for the Nazi perspective. At the time, especially when they were actually going to war. Yeah, for sure. That was just a, a, a point that I thought was really interesting. But why I like this movie so much, it truly does show how horrific World War I was. And how, on the German side of things, it really just... There's th- scenes I want to talk about that I can't, because I want you to experience it for the first time. But just shows how the German government or the German army uh, manipulated its young, young men into going into this war, thinking it's a glorious thing. And when you get there, you'll, you'll fight with honor. And this is the show, because World War I is just generally known as a huge pissing contest. That's what it is. And they There's make no a note heroes. of it at the end of the movie. Yeah, they make a note of it at the end of the movie where, you know, it was fought for four years, millions of people died, and... The front lines only moved maybe yards at a time throughout the whole year, like it, or maybe a mile at the most. Like it never moved that far. And just the brutality of some scenes, and you go through the whole thing with Paul and his, his friends, and you know, you lose some of them along the way, and some of them have just happened quickly, some you don't even ever see again. Yeah. And there's just some where they're, they just have tragic deaths that are just sad where it has it has nothing to do <laughs> ah never mind it, it just there's some deaths where you are some characters that you think are going to make it and then they just die in in just a simple way and just it shows you the real brutality of the war and it's just a there might be a few changes that you might not like from the book in terms of certain characters endings but i think uh, i think it was it's just it's a brilliant way to show what war really is and it's funny because it actually shows the french being menacing (laughs) for like the first time like they're an actual threat you know before they all surrendered in world war ii i'm gonna get political all right they drop their rifles deal with it anyway it shows how these are my people like just brutal (laughs) it just shows how how brutal both sides were, and you see uh, Daniel Brühl, as soon as I was like, oh, they're doing a German adaptation of this, Daniel Brühl has to be in it. And I saw he was an executive producer on it, I was like, oh, yes he is. <laughs> and he's in it as well. I feel like there may and, be a, um, new tr- a new trend coming up in, in movie making, where these classic stories are being made into films in their original languages. I just saw a trailer recently for new... Two two movies about the Three Musketeers are being made, but it's actually yes, it, but it's actually in French. French, 
and this is a German story mm. being told in German. And I love that trend. Um, I've I mean, been seen, yeah, it's there's, amazing. There's been enough adaptations of English actors playing German, French characters or mm-hmm. Russian or whatever. I, I want to see more adaptations of classic works of art in their native language from and i made yeah i made sure to watch this in in the in german audio and i even on some at the beginning i went to see what the english dub sounded like and it's never good it's never good just the syncing up of it or just the you can tell they're in a booth and it's not great but and the subtitles there's just it's just like it just shows how sad world war one is but not to the point where it's like, oh, war is hell. It's just this is what some people had to go through. I think it's just a really well-made uh, World War I flick. It's one of the greatest anti-war stories ever made. So I'm glad the movie, for someone who's never read the book, it, it at least entertain you. Uh, so my next one is The Woman King, which came out a, a little while ago. Um, mm-hmm. I had, a, I had a joke about this I told somebody a couple months ago. I said something to the effect of, it's kind of weird that there were two movies this year about badass African female warriors, but this one was better. <laughs> I, I liked it better than Wakanda Forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hear there's some inaccuracies with that movie. But... Wakanda Forever or Woman King? <laughs> Wakanda forever. I mean, woman gang. Like, I don't know, what kind of inaccuracies are you talking about? Namor's wings she were not exactly Panther. there on, you know. Uh, oh, man. That's funny. Uh, uh, yeah. But of course, there's, there's always accu- inaccuracies and historical things. I knew nothing about this story. And th- this is the kind of story I like going to the movies for because it's based on a true story. I know nothing about it. And I love seeing movies about African history because, once again, we're kind of seeing this globalization trend like we were just talking about with All Quiet on the Western Front. Not that it's made by Africans, but it's a story about African history, which you don't see very much in North American filmmaking. So me knowing not a lot about African history, mind you, and probably getting fed some wrong information, I, I use these movies as kind of a gateway to a learning experience about cultures that I'd like to know more about. So for me, that was really fascinating that way. Oh, wow, this is what uh, Dahomey was like in the middle of the slave trade. And oh, that was pretty fascinating how they actually captured slaves and sold them to the colonists as, as tributes to maintain their own wealth and status. Oh, they, they enslaved each other to maintain their own, like to save their own asses. So that's like that's some real moral complexity there. That's really interesting stuff. And also, but that's not the core of it. That's just more the backdrop to it. But uh, Viola Davis is one of the best performances I've seen this year in anything. She was really great in this movie. She's so good. She's phenomenal in everything she's in. Yeah, is uh, General Lanisca. Basically, the story is about how there's this there's this one girl named Nawi. And she refuses to get married off. So they ship her off to the, the, the female army in the kingdom because there's nowhere else for her to go. Oh, she won't get married? Fine, we'll send her to the all-female army where they're not allowed to get married or 
Like, they're military first and foremost for their whole lives. But she's not great at it because she's too rebellious a spirit. So they kind of try to uh, toughen out that rebellious spirit out of her, make her into a team player, get her to fight with her sisters and for for the good of the kingdom. And uh, it's just, and she kind of develops a relationship with the general and a lot of the movies kind of about their, their relationship growing into kind of a mother-daughter bond in a way. And it's... Well, that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> no. They, they, there's, there's a big age difference. That's what you were going to think. In. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. I didn't get that first part. <laughs> no. No, she's like a teenager. Ah. She's not romantically linked to Viola Davis. But, yeah, it was a really interesting movie. It opened my eyes to something I didn't really know a lot about. Made me want to know more about it. I liked it a lot. It was pretty entertaining. The score was great. The cinematography was great. The action was pretty cool. It was relatively down to earth. Oh, hey, an original story, too. It's not based on an existing IP. I liked it. It was a solid, standalone movie. You know, good time at the movies. Nice. What's your That's next pretty good. one? Uh, holy shit, I just saw your list. Bro, I have like four more things, maybe. This was like last... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, this is going to be the Joe podcast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so the like next thing after... <laughs> last time I had a way longer list. Yeah. Uh, I guess the next thing that I saw, a little bit sad, but not, uh, I've been watching a lot of Batman stuff recently. Oh, uh, yes. After the, uh, Kevin the, Conroy. the sadness of Kevin Conroy passing, and I have gotten to probably the 13th episode of, or the 12th episode of Batman the Animated Series. Beatles. Just finished. Yeah. Just finished the, uh, the two episode arc with. Two Face, great episode. Oh yeah, yeah, those were great. I'm loving the loving the animation so far. I had to pause watching it because someone said I had to watch Andor, and <laughs> guilty. But did you regret no, it? Like it's my job or anything. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, I was really enjoying it. There's it's funny because there's some like throughout the first season there's some serious episodes or some darker episodes and then in between it's like a joker episode <laughs> to kind of bring it back to a little bit more goofy thing i really like the one episode <laughs> with uh joker not the uh christmas one i like that one too but which is funny enough his first episode but the uh the one where joker basically steals a kid and they're at a like a carnival and when Batman saves the kid, there's the meme of the Batman giving the thumbs up. I was like, oh, that's what that episode's from. So I've been really enjoying that. Uh, the first episode, man, so fucking good. On Leather Wayne's with the man bat. Yeah, the animation's yeah. really cool. There was a few that I thought were okay, but, you know, not everything could be a masterpiece. I think it was the, maybe it was POV where it's the three cops. I don't know if you remember any of this. I remember a lot of them. The, the three cops. There's the one where it's like the hermit and he's got a like an army of uh slave homeless children. That one scarred me. Okay. That one scarred me as a kid. Oh wait, no, wait, maybe this is yeah. not that's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the one the one that scarred me is the one where 
Bruce Wayne goes undercover as a as just um as a homeless guy and then he gets captured and brought to that work camp. Oh yeah, that one was good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was really good. I saw that one. Forgotten maybe. Yeah. That one was really really good cuz that was so different for me. Yeah. I was like, wow, you've never seen this. And I thought, what was the last laugh? What is that one? Sounds huh. like a Joker one. It does sound like a Joker one. But it's funny with the Scarecrow one, Nothing to Fear. It's such a different design than he is later on in the show. Oh, yeah. And then also, especially when they do the reanimation. But I thought that one was good, too. And um, actually, I have to look that up, The Last Laugh, because I think... But even Poison Ivy's episode with uh, her introduction and also Harvey Dent as well, where he's in a coma. I thought that was really cool. And I thought... But, of course, my favorite episode so far has to be the Harvey Dent arc, where, because you, you're built up with this character throughout the whole, sh- uh, throughout the whole show so far, and you get to know this character, you get to like him, and then when he has this horrible accident happen to him, it's, uh, it's really sad, you know, he had a future, he was a DA assistant, and I just think how it's shot, and how it's, um, written, how it's all, uh, Excuse me, I just got an ad for more Ultra Sabers. I don't need more. <laughs> but um, I thought it was... I yeah, I just thought it was a really cool... Um, oh, the last laugh was the April Fool's joke where he released Toxin everywhere. Oh, okay. That one was okay. But yeah, I just think, God, it's really well animated. And it's not even about Batman. It's just about... Gotham. It's just about Harvey Dent going th- going through oh, that, it and Gotham and all that and but uh oh another one uh what did I like about the not the Leatherwings one oh the third episode with Scarecrow that's the one where you first see the fear toxin and then you get that speech from Kevin Conroy where it's like I'm vengeance I'm the knight I am Batman classic just that iconic moment and um I could say the other Batman thing I want but maybe we should move on and I'll say it next but yeah sure. I don't know. Uh, so this one, you okay, can I'll just you can help yeah, me out. You can help me ahead, out with this one. Uh, don't worry, darling. Mm. Which we have different. I like this one. I did not care for this one as much <laughs> as you did. This one, this one was good to me until the ending. It had a lot of interesting mysteries. I was yeah. okay. Like I'm invested. Okay, okay. And then the movie just keeps going and dragging it out. And I'm like, okay, I get it. She's going crazy. She feels gaslighted. All right, can we get some answers now? And it just keeps going and going and going. And then the ending happened. And that's where it completely fell apart for me. Because whatever I built up into my own head was just I'm like, oh, this is, this is the twist ending. This is what they're going with. I'm not satisfied. <laughs> and, it just, and the worst part about it was that it didn't even answer anything. It just made a whole new set of questions that were even more annoying than the ones I started with. And it just kind of logistically ruined the movie. So I I always said this movie was worth a watch. Uh, A single watch, you'll never want to watch it again, but it's interesting enough to sit through one time just to see it. Mm -hmm. It'll entertain you enough for one go, I think. That's, That's my short opinion on that, but what do you think? Yeah, I really liked it uh, from the 
you know, of course, there was that, like, off-camera drama leading up to it that I think just gave it more press than anyone True. ever expected, but we don't really have to talk about that, because everyone's talked about it to death. And uh, I just really like the aesthetic of it. I loved it from the trailers. I thought, you know, Florence Pugh is amazing. Fantastic. She, she carries almost thing. every film or piece of media that she's in. And she fucking carries this one. Oh my god, her acting is phenomenal. Harry Styles even does a decent job. I've seen people, like, take jabs at him. But he's only been in, what, three other things so far? Well, The Policeman as well that came out this year, but I haven't watched that yet. Look, what I'll but say I about think... Harry Styles, the, the worst thing about Harry Styles is that he has to act next to Florence Pugh. <laughs> yep. He's an okay actor, but she's a great actress. Mm-hmm. So when you put she them has two experience. together, yeah, yeah. When you put them two together, he looks like garbage because he looks like he's acting in middle school plays next to her because she's just so good. You put him next to somebody with his own experience, he'd look okay. It's just he was miscast for this part. I think he was okay. Well, it's funny because like Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be in the cast at first, and there's that oh, yeah. whole drama. But then you know it, it's whatever. But I don't think he was miscast. I just think. He just doesn't have enough experience to take on this role with this yeah. other partner. I think well, that's they had what I great meant. chemistry. Yeah. I think my bi- my biggest gripe with his acting is that he just doesn't do a lot of facial acting, which compared to Florence Pugh, all of her subtle and, you know, nuanced facial acting is like everywhere in this movie. With him, it's just mostly just kind of like a blank face or just like a little, you know, that Harry Styles smile. Uh, but I think vocally he's a great actor. And mm-hmm. I, and um, I also love Chris Pine in this. He plays a cult so leader really well, which is a little scary. He's so good. But it, it's one of the it's one of those movies where it leaves you asking more questions than answering them. It's kind of like Nope, but not in a in good that way. Sort of way. It's not like an Inception not kind in a of good way. Because yeah, because with this, instead of you making it up as your own thing, there's just some questions that need to be answered for. Like, there's just some questions that need to be answered. Logistically. To make up your own logistically. Because the reason why this world, it, it is the way it is, it's like, okay, but how, how are, not really spoilers, but like, how are the men making money off of this? How are they able to do this daily? What how are, are they, they doing? You know? Yeah. Like, oh, what are they right, doing right. exactly? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And like, what's the point of this project? Or is it just because... Or we're just doing the dangers of, you know, society, like, and I think Olivia Wilde is a good director. I think it was directed well. I just think it needed a little bit more explanation about what was happening. You don't have to go full out like Matrix Reloaded, where it's like 10 to 15 minutes of exposition at the end. But just give us like a little bit more. Cinematography in it was gorgeous. The 1950s aesthetic. I just, I love that aesthetic. I want to live in that town. (laughs) Made me want to mm-hmm. all the suits live in the houses. It just it made me want what a to simple be life. There. You know, it's one of the guys, mm-hmm. of course, because you know the movie. Actually, no, no, I take that back. I take that back. That's a bad. Wait, whoa, 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 that's whoa, a bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. <laughs> you wanna you wanna live in the fifties era, just not this fifties era. I'd even no, I don't want to want to live in the fifties era because the fifties era was you know bad for many reasons. I want to live in now with mm-hmm. the fifties aesthetic and vibe. I see. Do you still want Wi-Fi? Yeah. Like this neighborhood, like this neighborhood (laughs) seemed great on the surface. You know, it's like, unlike the fifties, it's a, you know, it's a pretty, 
diverse neighborhood. There's no like class mm-hmm. bias or racial bias or anything. People are just kind of living in the nice white picket yeah. fences, driving the cool cars, dressing all snazzy, even to parties, just kind of having fun. And it, there's a darker mm-hmm. undertone for sure, but there I like some I like visual the nice stuff. Side of the 50s. For sure. There is some visual stuff that does make sense if I rethink about it. Yeah. Uh, just because of, okay, why does that make... Because some of the spooky stuff just doesn't make sense. Because maybe it's because... Is it the actual world breaking or is it her psyche that's going awry? I think it's that so one. So there's just that, like... St- there's just like stuff like that. Oh, like that like when the house, a little bit, like bit when more. the house is collapsing in on her and stuff like that. Yeah, that, and also there's a scene where it's in the trailer too, so I, I guess I can spoil it. But she sinks in the bathtub, but you see other the Florence Pugh and the reflection look. Yeah, that's over to too. her. Yeah. So there's that where I was just like, it, it's like a spooky visual, but is that like why is that happen? I don't need like a full on like, oh, this is why this happened, but just is it her mind breaking? Is it you know? I but there this... are subtle visuals where there's like a frame, um, if you go frame by frame, where you see a certain character in a position that is explained a little bit later on. But I don't want to go into spoilers, because this, yeah. this does deserve a watch solely for Florence Pugh's performance. Pretty much, yeah. She's astonishing. Another interesting thing I noticed about this movie at the time was its soundtrack. Because, like I said, I'm pretty big into 50s mm-hmm. culture, so I knew a good deal of the songs on the soundtrack. And as I was watching the movie, I started thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if we'll get any, like, Elvis or whatever. Because I probably, I think I'd just seen Elvis, the Elvis movie, a couple months ago. So Elvis was fresh in my mind. I'm like, yeah, are we going to get any mm-hmm. Elvis? And then I thought about it for two seconds in the theater. And I'm like, no, no, we're not. They're not, I bet you they're not going to play a single rock and roll song on this soundtrack. And I was right. I recognized a lot of the songs, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Rock and roll is all about rebellion, questioning the social norms they're not going to do it in this movie. That's the exact opposite thematically to what they're going for here. That's not what this neighborhood is. That's not the side of the fifties they're trying to portray here. And I'm like that. It'd ah. be funny. Like the soundtrack, people who did the soundtracks, they were smart. That I thought that was clever. It'd be funny though, if like Elvis showed up in the, just to break the world. But if it was Austin Butler, I don't know why that's funny to me. That it's like funny. something's wrong. It's like crossing universes. Just to make, for some reason, in Hollywood, that El- Austin Butler is Elvis forever now. <laughs> May as well be. I, mean, I, wouldn't be. I wouldn't be mad. He basically talks like him now, which sucks. But also, if you talk like Elvis for two years straight, you're going to sound like carry that a little bit over. Yeah. Uh, so should I do another one or y- you want to? Because you only uh, have a couple. I'll do. Yeah, I'll do one more. Okay. Not, not one more at the end. Like, I have yeah. another one, but I'm just saying. <laughs> So one, another one that I haven't finished yet because I watch it on my breaks and I'm saving it for it. But I started watching for the first time in a very long time since I was a kid, another Batman thing, mm-hmm. Batman 1989. And ah, yes. Classic. <sighs> I don't. Uh, oh, this is the one. I like it. Oh, this is the one. I really like I'm, with. I'm okay. liking it. I really I really like it. It took me a bit to appreciate it. Because I think I've just been spoiled with so much Batman content where they really do a deep dive into Bruce Wayne and Batman. Where I think with the Tim Burton movies, it's more about here's Batman and here's and the story driven points are the villains. 
it take for me it takes a while to get into it but as soon as the joker shows up it becomes a phenomenal movie dancing to prince in the art gallery yeah the prince song's weird but his dance to it is hilarious jack nicholson does a whole amazing job so and michael keaton with it's surprising if you go back and watch it he has very little to do in the movie near Mm. the beginning but i just think it's a it's a great subtle performance where you know batman uh his one performance is batman where he's you know he's big and he's dramatic and he's theatrical trying to scare the lifting the cape up uh, beautiful the, shot yep yeah, the he's trying to scare the um Goons. the thugs yeah and when he's bruce he just like slips into the background he doesn't want to be noticed he's just like and he even sneaks in on vicky vale and uh the the, the other reporter talking shit about his own house and he's just like yeah, because I bought it. It's all right. It's whatever. And I love that duality of it. So it did take. It's taken me a bit to really appreciate it. But then once I figured out, okay, what are they trying to do with it? I was like, okay, it's pretty good. The thing about the Tim Burton Batman movies is you kind of just have to take them as they are. They're Tim Burton movies mm-hmm. starring the Batman, his version of the Batman character. This is a guy who you know hangs upside down in his bedroom and. That's yeah, so dumb. That one was dumb. <laughs> has a like has a machine he's, gun on the back. He's still room. a man. <laughs> he's basically psycho in this universe. He, he's really Tim Burton sees Bruce Wayne as a crazy guy, just as crazy as the people he's putting in Arkham Asylum. And I think that's why those movies work is because of the duality. The Joker sees yeah. it too in the first one. Like he, he sees Batman's just as crazy as he is, but they're just they're two mm-hmm. sides of the same coin, which is why they always. They always work well together. And they also, and I can tell he was definitely doing his own thing because, oh, well, that's spoilers. Well, basically how they tie the Joker into Bruce Wayne's personal story. That one is very much, yeah, yeah. yeah. that one is very much an invention for that movie to tie them closer together, which I know a lot of comic purists hate, but also it worked. If you're just watching this as a standalone Mm -hmm. movie, knowing nothing about Batman, it makes it better for that movie yeah so, i think it yeah it's i'm really enjoying it so far i just ha- I, I don't i don't know it's not i i didn't want to finish it it's just i save things for when i'm watching them at work to finish yeah. watching them at work but denny elfman's score denny which elfman. is the same score they use for the animated universe but oh my god another thing too the set is incredible i was about it's to talk so about good that Tim Burton's the Gotham go- is basically created the look of Gotham as we know it today. It's so good. Just like Richard that Donner one- did for Superman back in 1978 where he made Krypton look all crystally. That like that yeah. changed Superman lore forever. Tim Burton's Gotham has like this is a world where 1940s cars can exist mm-hmm. with like the the police blimps but modern technology. They have like cell phones but not uh but not computers. They've got, you know, bat signals, but like all the cops are like 1940s noir with police blimps, but there's like gargoyles. It's an 1800 city. It's like, it's this anachronistic city it's where so everything good. exists at once. And that was Tim Burton all the way. Yeah. And it's, again, it's one of those eras where you know it's just everything's hand built or everything's a painting. So yeah. it just makes it just, mwah, so much more. Gorgeous. It's, it's really good. And I, I was at first, I was like, oh my God, am I one of, am I going to be one of the Keaton haters? And I was like, no, he's just a more subtle Batman or a more subtle Bruce. 
and which is a cool take on it. Yeah. Um, fuck. What else was I gonna say? Oh, Vicky Vale's pretty good. I think my favorite character though near the beginning was that cop. Where he's like, "You're out of your league, Knox." I love <laughs> that guy. <laughs> he's so funny. Just his voice. It's hmm. like you don't know what you're doing, Ian Knox. Oh. I can't wait to watch Batman Returns because I know uh, it's I, better. I remember. Um, In many ways, it's better. It's cause... better, and the Catwoman I've seen that part, and those are very good. She's oh, very yeah. good. At Michelle Pfeiffer, fantastic. So I like the Tim Burton movies. Yay! Yeah. All right. So my next one is oh, the... around, uh, I guess, October sometime. I watched The Sandman on Netflix, and mm-hmm. uh, it's probably blasphemous for that I'm a comic book reader and I haven't read the Sandman story and in comic book form. And uh, I plan to at some point. But somehow, uh, this is a story I've never been spoiled on, uh, even though I know a lot about famous comic book stories. So I went into the Sandman basically completely blind as to what it was actually about. And all I really knew about it was it's loosely collect- connected to the DC Universe. And it's written by Neil Gaiman, whose work I like. And sure, I was I was pretty open-minded about it. I love this show. It's it's really good. And this is another one kind of like Andor we talked about in our last episode, where its first few episodes didn't really hook me in so much. I was like, eh, yeah, okay, this is this is pretty interesting. But then episode five hits. I think it was episode five. It was the one where the, in the diner, and it takes place in this diner and the villain shows up to this diner and there's all these people kind of just living their lives. And the entire episode of the show is just set in the diner where the, the main villain of the first half of the show is just listening to these people complain about their lives. And it's riveting TV. And that was what sold me on the entire thing. It just, it just escalates as he starts manipulating and turning everybody against each other, trying to help some people out. It just gets really... Yeah, it gets really intense, and then the show just gets better every episode from there. I love how the show is split into story arcs, like com- like comic books. It's basically a direct adaptation of the comic books, because Neil Gaiman had a very mm-hmm. heavy hand in it. The actors are all fantastic. Tom Sturridge is uh, Morpheus. Guy had me right from his voice. Just the voice he uses as this character is just, ooh, I want to listen to everything you say, because you're just so engrossing. And uh, I like his story about can gods have character development? <laughs> and he, so he kind of goes through that kind of crisis of faith in, in a way and sort of learns about himself and his role in the universe and how he can, what his role is basically he controls the dreaming where when people go to dream, dreaming is an entire realm which he controls. So every human being visits his realm. And his siblings also have their domains as well. You know, there's destiny, desire, uh, death. So they have different hmm. um, domains like that, but his is the dreaming. So he's basically responsible for everybody for a large chunk of their lives. So he's very important. He controls their, yeah, uh, just where they are for a large amount of their time, where their conscious spends their time. So because he's a very flawed human being, he's got to learn 
about his responsibility a little bit more and can he change certain things? How much should he interfere for the greater good? It's got a lot of fascinating, complex moral questions that really leave you racking your brain at the end. And you think about these episodes long after they're over is a great thing I can say about it. Like Everyone has a philosophy question that you're just like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. No, it should be this way. <laughs> you, you think about it a lot. And, That's uh, really cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I just, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I just haven't gotten into the DC shows, but I've heard really good things about it. It's and... so, it's so loosely DC. It's barely. Yeah. They I, have, that's why I've heard as well. Yeah. They have a sort of version of Constantine. Mm hmm. Who's not. And what I never, ooh, excuse me. What I never realized, this has nothing to do with Sandman, but what I never realized was. Uh, you know, the show Lucifer. Yeah. I didn't know that tied into the Arrowverse at all. I thought it was its own standalone thing, and then he shows up in one episode of Arrowverse or something <laughs> like that. They tie him in. I didn't know that was based off, like, the DC universe uh, yeah. Lucifer. Yes and no. Uh, Lucifer wasn't connected to the Arrowverse shows before Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they had to go to hell. And they, oh, I see. Like, in the Arrowverse, they'd been to hell a bunch of times, but they never met Lucifer. So when they actually had to meet Lucifer, Crisis on Infinite Earths was about all these crossovers anyway. So they're like, oh, how about we get the uh, guy who's playing Lucifer on the Lucifer show? I see. Which, okay. That version of Lucifer is based on a DC property. So it wasn't connected to the Arrowverse, so they, but they just figured, yeah, let's bring it in. And Matt Ryan's Constantine yeah, is basically it. on everything anyway. So yeah, so that was how they tied that in, just for a cameo. I saw a scene where he was just being a dick to Constantine, and I thought it was really funny. It's great. But yeah, I'm going to steal something off your list, because the, cause the thing that's been taking over me these last few months has been God of War, but I did a whole fucking episode on it. Yeah, we're but not covering the ones we talked list. about already. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm going to steal them from your list. Guardians Holiday Special. Yeah. I, I watched this. I watched this maybe a week later after it came out. I thought it was really fun. I love it. A fun little holiday special. Oh, okay, love love is um, a bit much, but I really yeah. liked it. Mm-hmm. Fun little holiday special. Gave some time to flesh out some character uh, Mantis's backstory a little bit and Mantis gave and Drax. her more screen time with Drax. And I love how they didn't force them to be a couple. They're just two like buddies who you know just travel around the galaxy together. And uh Well, I mean they Kevin Bacon they so did. funny. They nipped it in the bud right away, the couple thing. Like, the oh, just the thought yeah. of being with you physically. <laughs> but, yeah, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Fantastic. Peter Quill's hero. Who I love how it's nearly like James Gunn thought about this, like, 2014, mm -hmm. when the first Guardians came out, and he's talking about his hero, Kevin Bacon. Like, how many times has he mentioned Kevin Bacon or Kevin Bacon movies throughout the Guardians' tenure? For sure. So this was Mostly perfect. Footloose. <laughs> Mostly Footloose, but there's, I mean, how many movies did yeah. Kev, was Kevin Bacon in by 1984, wherever Peter Quill got taken away? So he only Not saw so lot. many. He only saw so many. Yeah. But. Well, what I found funny about Kevin Bacon's talk about all the stuff he auditioned for, and he talked about Batman. So there's uh, been a yeah. Superman reference and a Batman reference in the Marvel Universe. So it's like everything in our 
on our Earth is can't and in real life is exactly in the Marvel universe. It's just that the Marvel universe's heroes are real. Yeah, I think which is really strange to me because they even referenced they were like, oh, uh, Drax, let's take a picture. Oh my God, it's the God of War. And I thought that was, that was really funny. I feel like Marvel and DC both, like, I know in the Arrowverse, the Marvel characters are in comic, the heroes they read about in comic books and stuff, so that's just... Yeah. It's kind of a fun little job between the two. Yeah. There's also a Jack Sparrow, like, picture person there, too, so you're just kind of like, is this lore break? No, let's not not (laughs) think about it too much. (laughs) But what I didn't understand was, is this what LA is like around Christmas? Like, why, why is everyone dressing up in costumes for Christmas? No, that's just L.A. in general, hmm. where you just have people uh, walking on Hollywood Boulevard or in front of the, the big theater there yeah. as just Hollywood characters, and I see, they'll I just see. get pictures for money. Yeah, that's just Hollywood, baby. I love the scene when Drax and Mantis break into Kevin Bacon's house, and it's like a horror film. So good. He's running yeah. away. She's jumping on the walls, worried about the elf man and the candy cane. <laughs> yeah, he thinks the candy cane is a person. I also love how it actually shows both their power levels too, where, because they, what you see them, they fight like aliens or Thanos, so you don't really know what their power level is, but against like regular people and bullets, it like, it tickles Drax, so it actually shows the power level of him. Flips the police car, that was a great, that was a great shot. Mm -hmm. Great shot. And even there too, like. The, uh, the sets on their, I guess the new Guardians HQ is really well done. You can tell it's a full set. Uh, I don't know what the plant they're on. I can't remember. Oh, wait. I think it's Nowhere, they said. Nowhere. Yeah, yeah it's Nowhere. Yeah. And um, the Groot, I thought it was a costume, but apparently it's all CGI. Uh, James Gunn came out and said it was all CGI. Yeah, that, and he that said, I could tell. I think I... he said on purpose. He said on purpose, I, or someone said, well, then I guess they made it try to look like it was someone wearing a suit. The Groot CGI was probably the worst. The mo- like one of the biggest criticisms I have with the show, like it could clearly, oh come clearly on, clearly the clearly the budget was a little bit less for this special, like it was for Werewolf by Night, which is fine. I just noticed it a little more in this one because I've seen the Guardians with a bigger budget, and the Groot CGI specifically stood out to me as a little wonky. But I didn't, I didn't really That's care. Great, I didn't really care. I'm just you know looking to criticize something, if anything, because you know that's what we do. We <laughs> criticize. I love that. Uh... Sean Gunn's character's present is a sculpture of him holding the sculpture of him holding <laughs> the sculpture. I thought that was really funny. That was good. And he was like sort of okay with it. But yeah, I guess my two I wonder how jokes, it's going to tie in. Sorry. My two favorite jokes were when uh, Groot wheels out the present for uh, Kevin Bacon in the middle of the town square and then Peter gets mm-hmm. super angry yeah, yeah, at everybody yeah. for it. And Groot's like, he's like, what do you mean you had nothing to do with it? I just saw you wheel him out in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Groot's like, mm. you human trafficked a person? <laughs> my other <What> favorite <laughs> My other favorite line is when Mantis and Drax are really upset that when they find out Kevin Bacon's just an actor and not a real hero. And Mantis is like, yeah. why don't you act oh, like Kevin Bacon actor. if you didn't suck? Huh. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh, you're an actor. You're vile on my planet. <laughs> Pretending to be something else. It's really funny when actors make fun of actors. <laughs> I just find that funny. James Gunn knows how to blend comedy and heart so well. 
it, it never feels like mm-hmm. the comedy takes over the story, and it's actually funny. His jokes land. It just feels he all... He also knows how to shake up the DC universe, apparently. <laughs> He's yeah. canceling things left, right, and center. <laughs> oh my god. Wonder Woman 3, gone. Man of Steel 2, gone. Is Hammer Cavill coming back now? We don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do trust he's got a plan, though. I do. Tr- I trust in James Gunn. Oh, he's, he has never, I trust him, yeah. He's never steered wrong yet that I've seen. Um, but you gotta love how Marvel fired him for, like, fired him and canceled him. <laughs> gotta rid our hands of that. And then DC made him the boss of their movies. <laughs> That's really funny. That's so... Um, what man. a slap in the face think- to, to Disney. But yeah, I think it's going to be funny in, like, Guardians 3, I, if they drop a line like, someone go get my sister, and it's like, sister? <laughs> like, you have to, you don't have to watch this, but if you do watch it, it's, there's a really important lore thing between Peter Quill and Mantis, that they're technically brother and sister. Which I think yeah. a lot of people theorized anyway, but I actually never heard that theory. Yeah. But that's cool. Apparently it was in a deleted scene of Guardians 2. Like, I had this argument with Justin the uh... other week. The other week. Because we, we just watched the holiday special, and then we went out for dinner, and, and he was like, oh, yeah, I already knew that. They were, uh, they were brother and sister. And I'm like, I didn't. I've seen Guardians 2 about as much as you have. He's like, no, no, it was definitely in that movie. And we're like, is this a Mandela effect? Like, how do you, <laughs> why do you think there was right. a scene like that, but I know there wasn't? And then he remembered it was deleted. It's the scene. same thing. It's the same thing when people talk about Gamora. Avatar and oh. when uh, and Natiri and uh, Jake, they, like, connect their <laughs> ponytails together to have sex. Yeah. I feel like, no, that was in the movie, I swear. But it was in the extended cut, not ah. in the, like, theatrical cut. So when people watch that movie, they're like, what the hell? Interesting. Yeah. All right. So um, I'll just, I'll do another one. And do you have any more? Or, or should I just power through the rest of them? I don't know. Now? I don't know, but I can talk about one of them that's on your list. <laughs> I'll just highlight it if you can see it. Okay. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get... I'll do a couple more, and then we'll, uh, we'll do that one. A couple more. He has seven. <laughs> I'll go through it faster. I promise. All right, so the next one is uh, Power of the Doctor, the not-quite-60th anniversary special. No. <laughs> Ryan's typing in the chat. <laughs> I typed to... in his chat that we can both see live, watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> There's all the shows that I don't know what they are, so <laughs> I keep telling him to watch Game of Thrones. One day, one day. So, Power of the Doctor, that's not quite 60th anniversary special. I think it's the 59th special or something like that. It's the combination of the Chris Chibnall, Jodie Whittaker run on Doctor Who seasons 11 to 13 and this the last couple specials i have not liked this era very much and that (laughs) makes me sad because it's the first time i've ever seen doctor who live i've always been playing catch-up from season one in 1963 to present i've never seen doctor who live until the jodie whittaker era and it's one of the worst ones i've seen out of all of doctor who and I've seen them all, even like the Colin Baker seasons. <laughs> the, you the, mean the... doing just a you mean doing a diversity casting isn't enough? And I didn't even mind that. You know, honestly, I I did have my back up a little about it when I first heard it. 
because I was like, oh, well, like, the doctor's never been a woman. But then I thought a little harder and I'm like, eh, they're an alien and they shapeshift bodies all the time. Who cares? <laughs> and sometimes so that, the same body. Sometimes the same Apparently. body. So that, you know, I never really cared about Jodie Whittaker being a woman as the doctor in the first place. So that I was, I was willing to go with that. But the writing for her series is so bad. <laughs> the, Damn. the companions never really get any time to breathe. The only companion who's been with her for all three seasons kind of had a queer baiting story with her for the last year. And that never went anywhere at all. And that was the closest she had to an actual story as a, as a character. I'm like, oh, okay, that went nowhere. Thanks. The character they just introduced the last season got sidelined at the start of this special and he didn't show up again till the end. I'm like, are you kidding? Hmm. And then the entire episode is basically just cameos of people from classic Doctor Who, who if you've just watched the modern show, you would have no clue who these people are. <laughs> or you're like, oh, I guess they're old companions of the Doctor. And uh, you, you don't, yeah. You you don't know who these people are unless you're like me and have seen them all, but I'm in the minority there. There's a lot of people who've been watching Doctor Who for decades. They love the references. I love the references, but a lot of people also would be like, why did you sideline the character I just spent a whole season knowing just to talk to these people like the entire hour that I never, I have no idea who you are and you're taking up all the screen time now. And the the main bad guy's plan is super convoluted. It's like, it's whatever. Doctor Who's always been convoluted, but this is just, oh, it's just sigh-inducing convoluted, but just take it for what it is, because it's over. <laughs> no more of this. New, Russell T. Davies is coming back. Uh, we're, we're getting the revival, and Doctor Who might be good again. I, I kind of liked it. It was a decent ending for Jodie Whittaker, actually. Uh, I, I got a little emotional at her send-off. It was, you know, it, it was well-handled. She got a good ending, I think. Um, all her supporting cast, not so much. But I did like how they they very ended up, like, what her supporting cast did, and I don't want to spoil it, but it basically, it nearly brought me to tears because of what they did right at the end, where it's basically just cameo central. But they bring back. Right. There's. I, I don't want to spoil it. But I mean, I'm. Kinda... Joe, you got a speed run, buddy. You got, okay. You got seven right. more to go. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Well, I'm kind of spoiling it, but it's. There's one character they have there who is like a hundred years old in real life, and he was in. Oh wow. He was on the show back in the early '60s and hasn't been on in 60 years. And just to see him. John Hurt. He's dead. Just to see him back was. I'm like, oh my lord! He like they brought him back. That was crazy. All right, so my That's next cool. one. It's like that. It's like that one guy from the first Iron Man movie showing up in uh, Far From Home. Yeah, the uh, scientist. Yeah, the uh, like, whoa. Yeah, I remember they brought him back for the Tony uh, Stark built this in a cave. Yeah, that, and I didn't even recognize that him. That was a good play on that in uh, Far From Home. Mm-hmm. So my next one, and you see- go back and watch the movie. You're like, wow, it's the same guy. <laughs> Oh, my next one is, uh, it's called See How They Run. It's a detective thriller kind of story. And, um, yeah, it was all right. It was, the coolest thing about it was basically in these whodunit stories, 
there's a lot of cliches, but this one was a little bit different because the detective has to have this rookie cop who he's saddled with showing the ropes as he's investigating this murder. And the rookie cop is super idealistic and she's, you know, trying to learn everything she can. She writes down literally everything he says. And the main guy is just, the main detective is kind of just this cynical alcoholic detective who doesn't really care and he doesn't want to be stuck with this rookie who's super enthusiastic to be investigating her first murder. And uh, basically what happens is the, the setup is Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap has, is going to be adapted into a movie and the, the movie producer ends up dead and everyone who is in the play has a reason to kill him. So basically they're investigating a murder about a murder mystery. Which is, it's kind of cool. It's not, it's not great. You know, it's, it's kind of fun. It's got fun moments. Some of the writing is a little bit clever. It's got some decent twists. You're not going to remember it very well, but it was fun enough. Um, uh, My next one, I just saw the other week, The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's latest. Oh, I need to see this movie. This one made me freaking cry, man. Hit way too close to home. There's only six movies that have made me cry. We can do a, we can do a list about emotional moments in movies in another episode I won't, so I won't spoil the other ones now but The Fablemans made me cry I walked out of that theater in tears because it was just way too real for me uh, it, it's like watching the last 10 years of my life on screen just the relationship he's got with his family just what his family means to him and how they contribute to his artistic passion and and help foster that or help dissuade it or you know, everybody's kind of just the way his passion is brought out, played out so similar to how mine did. It was just, I don't know, it just kind of blew my mind. It, like Steven's is kind of a semi-autobiographical movie about Steven Spielberg made about himself. Yeah, so a lot of it is based on his real life. And it's Spielberg's a master. What can I say? The cinematography is fantastic. It, it looks great. the The characters are all multifaceted and three dimensional people, and it, it just I'm invested in their story. I wanted to see a lot more of it. I I was um it was a pretty long movie, but I left wanting more. Still, it was paced really well. John Williams score fantastic. Fablemans is one of the best movies I've seen this year so far. It's cracking my top ten. Uh, it's great stuff. I don't know if I've even seen 10 movies this year, Joe. <laughs> oh, I've seen dozens. Uh, so I today, today we filmed this podcast. I just finished Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5. This is a emotional roller coaster of a season where magic shenanigans happen. Buffy has a sister now because of magic shenanigans, and that's how that, that starts. But Season 4 was a bit of a dip in quality. From um, from the highs of season one to three, so I, I was happy to see season five was a return to form. I this is a show I've watched sporadically for like since high school, basically, and I'm only on mm-hmm. season five out of seven now. But I I forget sometimes how emotionally invested in this world I am and how good the writing is, because when the emotional moments hit, they hit so hard. Sarah Sarah Michelle Gellar nearly like she makes me well She's up good. with her acting. She's so good. And she really has to have a lot of 
like really heavy moments in this season. It might be the heaviest season out of the ones I've seen so far. It's it, it's so good. You know, Joss Whedon's style get a little jokey sometimes. Yeah, but it's season five. That's just what the show is. It's pretty. It's pretty. Jokey. How so? <laughs> How so? Cut to Justice League. <laughs> You've seen his movies. You know. You know what he's like. So it's it's a little jokey sometimes. But you know what? When the emotions hit, it gets real. And, you know, I'm really connected to the characters, the world. I'm excited to see more of it eventually. Lower Deck Season 3 is... What the the fuck is this? uh, It's the Star Trek animated series. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. This show is my comfort show, man. It's not not the best show in the world by any means. I I don't even know how appealing it is to non-Star Trek fans. Would you get the joke? Most of the jokes are Star Trek references and me who's seen... Everything cool. Star Trek, I get all of it. And this show is like laugh out loud funny to me. I love it. As a as a Star Trek fan, if you don't like lower decks, you have no sense of humor. <laughs> it's if you're wow. if you're a Star Trek fan and you don't like lower decks, I'm like, come on. Okay, I get why people don't like it, because it's really high energy sometimes, but it's funny. Mm. The characters are really Is it well developed. Is it like sitcom y or is it just uh no, it's like Star Trek, Just you know. Funny. They, well, it's kind of like in Star Trek, usually they have hour-long episodes to tell an interesting sci-fi story, right? Lower Decks basically takes those those kinds of concepts and squishes them down into a 20-minute show where they have to be funny too. So it's way more mm-hmm. fat. It's like watching a Star Trek episode that's way more fast-paced about the guys who nobody cares about on the ships nobody cares about. And they're really well developed. I love all the characters. It, it makes me laugh. It's like I said, it's my comfort show when I'm when I'm down. Lower decks is always one I'm happy to put on when it's out. I look forward to it every week. I I uh, look forward to season four a lot. I, I really enjoy lower decks. Uh, so now we get to the controversial one, Last of Us Part Two, which I also oh, God. just finished the other day. Finally, after. You know, years. I'm so behind on video games, people. You don't even know. Uh, or maybe you do if you're a long-time listener. I, I talked know. about. <laughs> <laughs> I do not get through video games very often, but I'm actually playing a second... It's infuriating. I'm playing a new game plus run-through of Last of Us 2 right now because I'm trophy hunting. Oh, I see. I'm blitzing it because I was close enough. It's like, why would you go through that again? It's a slog, <laughs> man. <laughs> it is so... God, in- it's just... It's so emotionally heavy and like it crushes you very early on and then it doesn't really let up. It's just relentless. And even the weather doesn't let up. The whole game is designed to make you as depressed as possible and just feel like you're crawling through the mud of Seattle on a fruitless revenge quest. It's just, well, I mean, I say fruitless, but it's, it's about, this is the Mm -hmm. only video game I think I've ever played which is very interesting, and it's kind of the point where killing is not fun. <laughs> where killing yeah. dozens and hundreds of people feels like murder, which is very interesting for a game to do. I think, I think that's fascinating. I'm like, oh, wow, you actually took real-life atrocities and made them feel like atrocities to commit in a game, which isn't very fun, I'll admit, in many ways. 
the gameplay's fun, but what it does to your conscience is a little bit screwy. And this is why I think this game is like, I'll say it's like the last Jedi of the video game world. I get, you know, last Jedi, Ryan and I talked about last week. I very much do not like that movie. I'm on that side of that debate. Last of Us Part 2, I do really like. I'm on that side of that debate. Though, to be clear, I, I think it's a work of art, but not one I enjoyed experiencing. But the fact that I had emotional investment as I'm going through it, and it made me feel a lot of things, it does speak to its the fact that it is a work of art. There's a lot to think about after you play this game. Uh... Like, for example... Without getting into heavy spoilers, I think it's really interesting that Abby, for example, has a it's a revenge it's a multi sided revenge quest. Abby has a revenge quest against somebody. She does her revenge quest and goes to kill one guy. Ellie has a revenge quest as well, but she murders half of Seattle (laughs) in her revenge quest. The other so the one is like yeah you. You get Abby's revenge quest, but also she only does one thing. At the end of the game, she's she's kind of done the lesser of all the evils. Ellie's the one who committed countless atrocities throughout the game, but she's the one... And that's why I fucking hate is this morally, game. ...is morally just at the beginning. Like, oh yeah, we want to do what Ellie wants to do, but they made they kind of made her the bad guy and made us sympathize with both sides. It just, it, it screws with your head and it's... It's a and crazy that's what's fucked. piece of writing. That's that's the character fucking assassination that I was talking about. Because throughout the first game, you learn to ha- uh you learn to love these two characters and have their father daughter bond, uh, like the classic story. And this one, it's just a basic revenge quest. And it's like okay, to avenge. I'll go into full spoilers because I don't want anyone to fucking play this game. <laughs> just to avenge the murder of Joel which is not done well. I mean, well, it's done well, like, it's brutal in that world. It, what, I, what I mean, it's just, it's done so fast, so quickly, and then throughout the whole time you're playing as Ellie, you have her girlfriend, I can't remember her name, but her Dina. girlfriend the whole time talking Dina, about yeah. Nina, who Dina. is talking about how, well, maybe Joel didn't do the right decision, or maybe Joel, like, shut up! Like, yeah, we know the ending where morally it wasn't correct for him to do, but he did it to save Ellie. And he would do it all over again, and we probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, but the reason and then I... the whole game, the whole I'm not done. And okay. then the whole game where they try to make Ellie a bad guy and try to make you sympathize with Abby, who is a fucking nobody. Where your first introduction to her, she kills Joel. Don't do that. If you want her to kill Joel, just do it later on. Don't be like, say you had to. Okay. Say, uh, what's something I can think of? Okay. Random thug number three, right? In just a random movie. Goes up, meets Batman, kills Batman, or whatever, you know? And Batman is actually dead, just fully dead. But here's the backstory of Thug 3, and we get to play as her for ten fucking hours, and (laughs) why we like, why we sympathize with Thug 3 with killing Batman. No! What they should have done, in my opinion, is have... Ellie is have Abby meet up with Ellie at one point and they're both trying to get away from the horde or whatever and they go and they try to get back to Jackson together they build this loving relationship with each other almost like a sister sister thing 
And then when they finally get to Jackson, they see Abby sees that Joel is there, knows Joel is there, and then ultimately she kills her. I mean, uh, she kills Joel. And there you have the conflict between Ellie and Abby. Like, oh, I thought I trusted this person. And then you have that revenge story going on. Have us, you have like, you make your audience play as a character who murdered one of the most beloved characters in history for 10 straight hours. And you give this like basic backstory about why, because her father was the doctor that Joel killed that was going to operate on Ellie. Which doesn't make sense anyway, because you can't do a vaccine for a fucking fungal virus. It's the, it's, but in that world, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's so disrespectful to the people who played the first game to me. It's so disrespectful. Where and then they try to make Ellie a terrible person. Where when you play as Abby, just, you can pet. When you play as Abby, you can pet the dog all you want. But when you play as Ellie, you murder tens of thousands of animals throughout the whole game. Or not animals, just dogs. And to me, that's just so that's just one example of how disrespectful it is. Gameplay wise, it's fantastic. I'm gonna Visual wise, you. it's fantastic. I'm, we should probably have a whole Last of Us discussion where we really get into this. But I'm gonna counter and say, well, when I finally do, beat it. Doing a doing a playthrough again, the very first scene in Jackson, Ellie is petting the dogs too. You know, she does get some moments like that. She plays with the kids. Whatever. But the reason I don't think it's that disrespectful is because it's all about the moral grays. They talk down to Joel. Sure, that sounds disrespectful. But this is from their perspective. We played the first game. We know how Joel saw things. And how he saw things, he's still allowed to see things that way. How Ellie and uh, Abby see things, they're allowed to see it this way. We're seeing it from their perspective now. Ellie being a monster, we kind of feel that way as we're playing her. But she's starting to feel that way too as it goes. We're getting into her head throughout her revenge quest and we understand why she's doing what she's doing. And we hate Abby just as much as she does. And then we play Abby and we kind of get what she's doing too. And while Ellie's going on this downward spiral, Abby actually has some character development. She's growing as a person while Ellie's getting worse. So now we start seeing Ellie from Abby's That's perspective. Bad. And she looks That's like bad storytelling. I think it's That's good. That's terrible story. That's terrible storytelling. You were taking this character that was so beloved throughout the first game and throughout the whole community, and you actively write her as a worse person. Fuck you. That's and you take this other character. That's not bad. Who, that's not the very the very first thing. The very first thing that happened is you kill off another beloved character in the same thing, and you try to write her and make her feel like a better character. That's fucked. That's no, so okay. disrespectful no, no, to those characters before. The whole gameplay with Abby. She gets better guns. She has better executions. She's better at fighting. Ellie, it's a struggle to play as her. It's ridiculous. What I'm going to say to that. It's so disrespectful. What I'm going to say to that. It, it reminds me of, once again, it's like the Last Jedi debate. I think it's very similar. You took characters from, you know, that were beloved, and then you did something new with them. I'm on the side of Last of Us Part 2 that says, I liked what they did, but I understand why people don't. Same way a lot of people like what they did with Luke Skywalker, and I'm very much not a fan of that for very similar reasons to what you were just saying. Everything you said about Ellie, I think about Luke Skywalker and The Last Jedi. But, you know, I think it's all about the complexities and the fact that it 
I think there is room for debate here. I understand why people like it and why they don't like it, but I think I don't think it's objectively bad. I just think it's there's a more it's very morally gray by design. You're supposed to be pissed off, which it's I don't know if that's a I can't tell you that's a good thing. Maybe you should be mad at Neil Druckmann for trying to piss you I off, am. but I think he's trying to. The, the whole point was to spark a it's reaction. Not a good thing. Yeah. You can tell a moral gray story. It's just told shitty here. That whole rant I just went on about how she could have killed Joel would have been way better game than just her killing her at the beginning and be like, no, no, wait, this character that you hate right now, here's all the good things about her. No, that's not how you tell a fucking story. That's not how you do it. And just because you want it to be different, that doesn't get, that's not a good reason. Also, the reason for her killing Joel yeah, I get it. Doesn't mean I have to fucking like it. Well, I'll... and also the fucking the fucking ending. You don't get a choice. She goes away, so all that murdering that Ellie does Sorry, amounts spoilers. to fucking nothing. The whole fucking forty-hour game amounts to nothing. That is so unsatisfying. Which, once again, I'll say is kind of the point. It's supposed to be unsatisfying. Ugh. Which, doesn't once mean I have again, to like it. Yeah, you don't doesn't have... make it good either. Now, once again, what I will say about, to counter your point before about how you think it's bad storytelling, I, I do think, once again, that is the point of it, though, is you're supposed to hate Abby by the time you're in her shoes, and the fact that you are building her up as a, as a person, you can say that's bad storytelling because you want it to be more linear, but also, the game knows you're totally against her from the very beginning. The game is trying to challenge you to say, you hate this person. Can we make you sympathize with this person? Even though we no. know, even though we, kn a lot of people can though. I did. You know, I, a lot of people can't though. And that's part of the challenge of the game is it's a mental game. It's like, can, can you get over your own bloodlust and thirst for revenge once you know the other side? It's a test. That's the real test against the player is can you forgive Abby once you know her side? Can your own empathy overcome your bloodlust, which you have for valid reasons to be clear, but it's it's so complex. And I like I like a lot about it. I didn't enjoy playing through it, but it's uh, I'm fascinated by it and I like thinking about it and um it's very interesting. That's my whole point. Game. You didn't enjoy playing through it. And my whole point is they completely sidelined Joel and Ellie's story for just flashbacks to force this random fucking character that nobody likes at first. So that's why I haven't beaten it. I'm maybe past her first chapter. I have no... I have no joy playing as her. Like, I just don't care about her. I don't care about her friends. I don't care about her backstory. I just don't, and then she just ends up fucking doing the same shit anyway. She doesn't learn from her lessons. She goes back to being this fucking, ugh, it's not good, man. I'm sorry, but it's just not good. I Because it not... just sidelines characters that we love. To re resort Joel and Ellie's whole development to flashbacks? I'm sorry, it's trash. I can't, but I can't the, agree. I will say, though, the actress, the actress who played Abby got so much hate online, which I felt 
I feel that's never the right thing to do. You should never blame the actor for a game that you hate. She did a phenomenal job with stuff she was given. She's just doing her job. It's inappropriate to attack someone online. She's just doing her job. Don't do that. Do we have enough time to talk about this last one? (laughs) I don't really have much to say about it. I just started it. (laughs) So last night, I started Sid Meier's Civilization VI. I'm a big fan of real-time strategy games, and I become a different person when I play them. I, I become obsessive. Like, super mm-hmm. obsessive. I started around, I don't know, 10 o'clock last night and played till 5 in the morning, even though I had work at 8 the next morning and I had to get up at 7. I got two hours of sleep How last f- night. What is it? Wow. 11, 11 o'clock now? So I'm down to um, 20. I'm up to nearly 30 hours without sleep now, nearly. How do you feel that a... Uh... That for a best strategy game this year, a Mario game beat out Total Warhammer. Interesting. <laughs> you can see the rage inside you. No, I don't care. I don't care. Good game. You know, a good game's a good game. You know, I, I don't really... A Mario plus Rabbits game beat out Warhammer? Come on now. I don't know. It's... Anyway, go I ahead. Can't, I can't judge. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm really liking this game so far. It's, it's kind of cartoony which is interesting but it's kind of fun and i i get absorbed into it very easily i'm like oh one more turn oh one more turn oh i'll do i'll go up to number 50 oh, i'll go up to 100 oh, i'll go up to 150 and then it's five in the morning <laughs> and i and i'm like oh crap better sleep mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's really good so far i'll come back to it i have a long way to go before i beat it i am screwing myself i never I like real-time strategy, but I suck at it. I already lost my main um, capital. Stupid oh, Queen. no. Queen Victoria took it over. That bitch. Yeah, because she put all her technologies in way above, and now she's in, like, the modern era. So I still got guys with, like, pikes, and some. I was just getting, like, crossbow guys. I'm like, Oh, I just upgraded my guys to, like, the medieval era. And then she comes in with freaking muskets. Kills all oh. my guys in one shot that I'd spent, like, 15... I spent, like, two hours building these guys up. Damn, and then she just sorry. comes in and decimates them with muskets and takes my capital. Mm-hmm. And that's what this game is. I don't know what I'm doing, and I need to learn. But that's that's all I got to talk about for the last Yeah, those real-time ones. strategy games I could never get into, but I always loved the concept of them. So it fun. just felt like to me it's like it's like risk but virtual and i know risk games go on forever <laughs> like the board yeah. game risk <laughs> oh yeah that's pretty much how this goes to oh man you uh got anything else should we even do a last of us episode or did we just do it <laughs> we did a secret episode in this one maybe i'll just post that whole oh. bit separately like the last of us <laughs> like episode 20 sneak peek Episode 35.5, The Last of Us 2 to be. <laughs> no, we should do a full episode, because I want to talk about the first one and the second one. I feel like we have oh, more to say on it. the second one. Oh, what what do you idea. say about the first one? The first one's good. <laughs> like, objectively, it's objectively fantastic. What say, do you have to say? We should, do an episode, we should do an episode right before the show comes out. <gasps> Look at me thinking. Ooh. Look at me using my big boy brain. Smarty fans. <laughs> like, our God of War ones See, do we can... really well when we, when we time it right. It does well. So. Yeah. So you got any more to talk about? Listen, or? everybody. We both yell at each other. But look, we're still friends. 
Yeah, right, so Ryan and I are good examples of civil <laughs> debate. We'll argue for, I don't know, we filmed two episodes back to back, so we've been arguing for a couple hours straight now. But hey, if we're we fine. can survive the if we can survive the House of the Dragon podcast, we can survive anything. <laughs> that was a low point, but also a high point for your listening pleasure. I exactly. Hope. Yeah, <laughs> you just heard two dudes yelling at each other. For a whole hour. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Why don't you start King Rapist? Oh, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you got any more to talk about or uh, you want to wrap it up? No, I love this show. Anyway, uh, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on Instagram and on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, be sure to leave us comments and reviews, as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button or sharing if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time, Team Green all the way. Oh my god. That's how we're ending it? <laughs>